Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophiel. Marca Mesut Ophiel. Sánchez, esto es un auténtico golazo, fantástico minuto 27, lo ha hecho absolutamente todo This is Arscast Extra Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always with James from Gunner Blog, good morning to you James. Good morning, that's more than I expected. Um, well I mean I was just being polite to you, I wasn't necessarily saying it was a good morning, it's just it's just the standard greeting, is it not? Yes, hello, hello, I'll give you. I'm not going to go as far as good morning. Oh, I'm hello, you're hello. not even, oh, God, this is bad. You're not even wishing me a good morning. I mean, that's that's pretty grim. I wish you a good morning. I suppose I suppose that's what it means. It's just that it's not descriptive, is it? We're not, it's, it doesn't feel like a good morning. No, it doesn't. It doesn't in any but, way. But, you know, the morning's young <laughs> for us. The time could change. Things could get better. They could. I mean, there's only 50 minutes. Uh, we're starting recording at about 10 past 11. There's only 50 minutes of official morning left. So if something extraordinarily yeah. good was to happen within those 50 minutes, then it could probably be described as, as a good morning. But essentially, just coming back to it, I was really just kind of saying hello. That's it. That's it. Hello. 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 I'm going to stay with hello. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm, I'm as you might hear, a little bit uh, croaky. Uh, I don't know why that is. I'm sort of on the on the verge of some kind of a cold thing, which would be a bit of a pain in the arse. Uh, so I'm hoping that, that doesn't develop. Timed. Mm, what about you? Yeah. I am very hungover, um, mm. which you know, and not just from the football, uh, it'll, the alcohol as well. That's done. That's done the damage. Booze hangover um, as well. Yeah. Yeah, double hangover. So, you know, I mean, I, I've had a lovely weekend, but, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to... Uh, it, I mean, today feels like the most Monday morning, Monday morning ever. I can't believe we're back to dissecting big defeats against big teams. It feels all horribly, horribly familiar. Mm, so you had a lovely weekend, which was essentially then ruined by Arsenal. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I would say. And, and do you know what? I, I suspect I wasn't alone in that. No, I, I think there are probably a few people out there whose weekends were, were pretty much ruined by, by Arsenal. But then, you know, is that not what we do? Is that not what we set ourselves up for? Is that not just part of our life? You sort of commit to this football team and you expect some good times and you expect, you know, Monday mornings like this one where you're going, what the fuck are you cons doing? Those, is that not it? That is, that's not, that's our life. That is our life. Do you mean particularly with this team or just with any football team? I think it's probably with any football team. Um, you know, unless it's Barcelona or something like that, where more often than not you're going, oh, that was good, we won again. Messi's fucking brilliant, isn't he? Look at that. Look what he did. To, he did bamboozled eight players and then scored a brilliant goal. I think for the most part, a lot of football teams and football fans have to... Disappointment in being um, disheartened is, is part and parcel of the whole experience. They just, you know, yesterday was was particularly so, um, for me anyway. There were just shades of that old Trafford game last year, which, uh, to be honest, uh, has left some kind of mental scars for me, that game. That one particularly? Mm. 
in wh- why? What do you mean? You just like it? You f- have flashbacks to it? Yeah, when I think about it, I want to sit in a padded room, just rocking back and forth, perhaps screaming from time to time, and then somebody will just come in and give me a pill, and I'll forget about it, and it'll it'll all go away for a while. That's the way I feel about that game. And yesterday well, was just yeah. It's the team occasionally remind you of it with a, mm. another lacklustre performance. They did, they did, and they did that yesterday. Um, and again, away from home, a big game where we're hoping we'll show up and we'll, you know, make that statement. This is a, this is a team that can do it. We can, we can be all the things that you want us to be. All these projections and hopes and desires that all the fans have about what this team could be or should be, even you know, based on the the quality that we have in the squad, definitely what it should be. I don't think anybody really really expected that yesterday to the extent that no, we got it if you know what I mean yeah I guess it's like you know Amy Lawrence on the, the live show a few weeks ago said we were looking for a, a fuck off result and I know you repeated it on here a week ago but that wasn't a, a fuck off result that was a oh, fuck off result <laughs> <laughs> that was a go fuck yourselves result yeah exactly yeah it was exactly that mm. uh, I mean how did you feel I mean, it seems a bit of a stupid question, but how were you feeling 45 minutes in? How were you feeling at half-time? Is, is it all on the second half for you? Um, how was I feeling? I was feeling okay. You know, mm. the goal was really lovely. I think we should, at least if we're going to try and find some positives in, in what we did yesterday, uh, we scored a lovely goal. Although we did score a really lovely goal in that uh, that game where we got beaten 6-1 at Old Trafford, if I remember. So it's like, it's small comfort. Um, but it was a lovely Truth. goal. And five minutes in, you know, you're thinking, Jesus, this is a, a Manchester City defence that has been really poor over the last uh, number of weeks. He's dropped John Stones. He's got a, a cent- central defensive duo of Otamendi and Kolarov. You know, not mm. much pace there, really. Uh, you've got uh, G- Gail Clichy at, at left back, Pablo Zabaleta right back, and we've got Alexis, we've got Walcott, we've got Ozo, we've got Iwobi, and you're thinking, what, there's the pace, the power, the creativity, the guile, the craft, uh, all the things that you would want to put up against that particular back four, and we've got a goal up inside five minutes. But, like, that should rock them. We should have j- just... Gone, I don't know, maybe I'm just talking out my arse, but it just felt like we really should have taken advantage of that that early goal, and instead we sort of sat on it a bit, you know? So by the time we'd gotten to halftime, City had obviously had a great chance to equalise. A couple of seconds after we scored, Sterling headed wide, if you remember. So there were some yeah, warning yeah. warning signs there, and I was really concerned by the the inability to keep possession for any sustained period. I know we're away from home and we're sitting back, but I was worried I was worried a little bit at halftime. What about you? Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe call me, call me naive. I mean, ultimately, I was wrong. <laughs> but I was relatively content. I, I sort of thought, you know, Arsenal's goal would come from, like, a, a turnover and, a you know, effectively a piece of counter-attacking play. And I thought there'd been other chances to do that. I mean, Alex Awobi, he had great pace and power on the break, but some of his decision-making or mm. his final ball wasn't as good as it, it can be. And had it been... You know, I think we might have carved out a couple of more clear opportunities. We had that, he scored as well, that offside goal. Mm. Uh, very narrow decision when that Shamorial was flagged. And I thought we were sitting off, but I won, it looked to me, and maybe I was influenced by the commentary of Gary Neville because he suggested the same on Sky. It looked to me like a, a ploy from Arsene Wenger to let City have possession. And then when the ball turned over, if Coquelin and Shackler won, Shaka won it, 
you know, to break quickly on them and try and get at that back four, who did look vulnerable. Mm. Um, where, I mean, the problem is that that didn't pan out and you have to wonder if maybe that was the right approach if we'd sought to control the game a bit more against a City team that didn't have Fernandinho, didn't have Gundogan, you know, if we could have controlled the midfield battle more than we did. Mm. Uh, because in the second half... I mean, I watched the second half just now on Sky, on catch-up. I was trying to remind myself of key events. And I had it on the times 30 speed, fast-forwarding through it. <laughs> and let me tell you, at, at no point in 45 minutes did I really notice the ball in City's half. <laughs> it just seemed relentless, really. Yeah. Uh, we couldn't get a foothold, even. We couldn't get a foothold. No, we couldn't, uh, keep, and we couldn't keep control of the ball at all. When we won it, we, we... Like, there was a moment, I think, in the second half where... Coquelin had won the ball and he ultimately ended up losing it but I think it was because he was in a really tight area and he was looking you could see him looking for a pass and there wasn't anybody for him to pass to we didn't have an outlet high up the pitch we didn't have uh, everything was squeezed so tightly we were sitting so deep that when we won the ball we had to be extremely intricate to try and uh, move the ball out of those tight areas. You know, you're looking to play little one-twos and triangles to get yourself out of a difficult position. So by by sitting so deep and by um, creating this gap between Alexis and and the midfield and also the back four, we just had no way of controlling the ball. And I think um, when you look at the the past statistics, I would be surprised if it wasn't, you know, on an individual and collective basis up there with the worst uh, that we've seen so far this season. I think so. I think so. And I mean, obviously, it will probably bore people going on about it. But if you think back to January 2015, you know, we when we played at the Etihad, it was one of those performances where we had to soak up quite a lot of pressure. Mm. The difference being, we had a guy in midfield who's so good in those tight situations in Cazorla, and, and no one yesterday really was able to emulate, you know, that kind of performance he produced on that day. Yeah. Or get close. Yeah. Frankly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, let's let's just go back to the start a little bit. Did you have any issues um, before we get into the the performance and everything else? Did you have any issues with the team selection? I I. Didn't actually. Uh, I'm just thinking through it now. I think I guess the the closest call probably would have been between Oxlade Chamberlain and Iwobi. Um, yeah. But uh, and, and Oxlade Chamberlain, I feel, think could feel a bit frustrated that he's left outside. Last time he started, uh, you know, over the last couple of months, he's, he's done pretty well. But I think Iwobi. It's a close call between them at the moment, and I, I didn't have an issue with it. Did you? No, no. I thought the the lineup was pretty much what I expected. I didn't necessarily see any other changes apart from maybe one or two of the wide players. He was always going to play Alexis up front. I didn't think he was going to change both the wide players, so bringing in Iwobi to add a little bit of freshness, I didn't think that was uh, that was uh, you know outrageous. Uh, when you look at the team on paper and you look at City's team on paper, there's nothing wrong with the way that, that we sent, uh, with the 11 that we sent out. I think the big yeah. issue is the the way that the team, and it was evident in the North London derby against um, Tottenham, there was just this lethargy, this passive nature to our play, which became more and more apparent as the second half went on. That we, you know, for all the talk of sitting back and soaking up pressure and trying to hit on the break, there was, you know, the offset of that is that you, you're not, you're not in any way aggressive. There was nothing aggressive about the way that we played. We didn't try to win the ball back with any conviction. We were watching. We were standing watching the ball rather than trying to win it back and snapping into tackles and putting some pressure on City when, you know, we could then have taken the ball and tried to exploit some of the space that that that, that they left. It was just so mm. 
so passive. Uh, that was that was you, the big issue. To, I mean, to, to, uh, it's difficult to know, of course, but to what extent do you think that was deliberate? Do you think that that was an instruction, or do you think that was a, a psychological thing? You know, what do you put that down to? I, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean. Mm. I can't imagine it was an instruction. I mean, you, you could say, certainly, okay, sit back, uh, soak up a bit of the pressure, you know, let them have the ball in their own half. When they come into our half, let's push up and let's press them a little bit and let's try and win the ball back and use the space that they've left. I think that might have been yeah. the instruction. I, I certainly don't think we were instructed or the players were instructed to sit that deep. And, and sometimes when you get into... Uh, the game gets into a rhythm like that, you find it very difficult to, to get yourself out of it. You know, I think we spoke during, uh, after the Tottenham game, do you remember? And we were saying that it was so quiet and then there was this moment where Coquelin went sliding in and won a really big tackle and you thought, all right, that's the thing. That is the thing that's mm. going to lift the players and is going to, okay, increase the tempo and, and get, get them going a little bit. We didn't even have that moment yesterday and there was just nothing or nobody apart from Alexis um, who, who a couple of times came back to like win a slide tackle because nobody else was doing it. Nobody else was trying to win the ball. And I just see, I, I don't know what it was or why it happened, but the team seemed to get into this, oh, right, all we can do, all we can do is just defend. And I don't know how you alter that mindset in a game beyond players with, with like genuine leadership or ability, but there was nobody out there showing any of that. Um, as I said, bar Alexis, who who at least looked like he gave a fuck yesterday. Yeah, I mean, if it was an instruction to the team, it's one that he either didn't understand or wasn't listening to because he was pressing and, you know, cajoling his teammates and trying to get them a little bit higher up the field and chasing back too. Mm. And it, it would be... I suppose a slightly surprising choice for a team that's so set up to attack, that has such an attacking emphasis, and that has such a, frankly, dodgy defensive record. I mean, God knows when the last time we kept a clean sheet even was in the Premier League. Um, to sit back and try and soak up pressure from a Man City side who, whose strength is going forward, yeah, you know, would certainly be an intriguing uh, strategy to adopt in a game like that. I mean, yeah. when... I mean, when was the last clean sheet? Do you the, the last clean sheet in the Premier League was against Middlesbrough on the 22nd of October. The last clean sheet was in the EFL Cup um, Red against Reading. Yeah, so we won 2-0 there. But it's been 12 games without a clean sheet. We have been defensively suspect pretty much all season. I mean, we spoke about this a number of times on the podcast where uh, despite good results... Despite um, decent enough performances, there have been moments in games where we have been uh, cut apart, where better finishing, more efficiency from the opposition would have changed a number of those results. Um, mm. So we we rode our luck a little bit. We have ridden our luck a little bit defensively throughout this season, and I think the the chickens are coming home to roost a little bit here because when the goals dry up, which they have done to a certain extent um, in the last couple of games anyway. Um, it's just cost us. It's caught we haven't had the ability to react or to take control of a game. You think of Everton going a goal up and we play very well in the first 20 minutes, go, go, go score another goal and really put them to the uh, to the sword or score that Mesodosal chance in the second half and that puts them you know puts us 2-1 back in front and it changes the game yesterday as soon as you went 2-1 down you I had literally no faith whatsoever 
that we could get a goal based on the way that we were playing. Not necessarily down to the players on the pitch because those players have shown themselves capable of scoring goals, but just the way we played yesterday. I couldn't see any way that we were going to score. Yeah, uh, well, uh, I mean, I, I concur. And, you know, defensively, uh, those those weaknesses have come home to roost, exactly as you say. And it's amazing when you look at Chelsea, I know it's a different side, but, you know, since they lost that game to us, the amount of clean sheets, everyone's banging on about these wins. You know, Hull, clean sheet, Leicester, clean sheet, Man United, clean sheet, Southampton, clean sheet, Everton, clean sheet, Middlesbrough, clean sheet, uh, West Brom, Sunderland and Palace, the last three games, all clean sheets. It's nine clean sheets in that run of wins that they mm. put together. Um, yeah, and you look and, at you look at you know, look at look at the results. Like it's one nil against Palace, one nil against Sunderland, one nil against West Brom, two one against Tottenham, one nil against Middlesbrough, two one two nil against Southampton. You know, they obviously gave Man United a bit of a pasting and, and Leicester a bit of a pasting. But the last few wins, like four out of the last five wins, have been one goal margins. And yeah. the, you know, yeah, that's that's what a defence gives you, I guess. Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously we've. You know, we've lost a centre-half, and I don't think that's helped matters, but I think you're right that some of these vulnerabilities were there prior to that. And, you know, aside with City's quality, an attack is going to expose that more. And it's, it's mainly that our attacking play has dropped off as well. I mean, uh, you know, to lose... This has been a pretty painful week. I mean, I haven't spoken to you since the Everton game, but mm. losing uh, two leads to two, you know, to resulting two yeah. defeats. Away from home, um, you know... Um and look, you, you think about it, where we were last Saturday night was top of the well, Premier top League. We were. <laughs> top of the Premier League. And now within the space of seven days, we're nine points behind the leaders. And that is that is forth. something of a yeah. collapse. That's a real collapse. Now, of course, it, what it is also is an illustration of how quickly things can change. That if Chelsea's form dips and if the form of other teams dip, uh, you know, a little bit, if we can go on another winning run, as this team has shown itself capable of doing, let's not forget that, um, you know, things could look quite healthy. And, and some of the fixtures we'll talk about a bit later on, some of the fixtures are, are pretty kind. But, you know, it's so disheartening to be, you're, you're there, you think about the, the mood change, everybody, after we beat Stoke, everybody's in, you know, in great form, and we're talking about how it's so important that we've got to keep Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil, here we are a week later, and there's people, <laughs> people want Ozil to be shipped out to fucking, I don't know where, Timbuktu, they've had enough. You know, so it's, look, there's an element, of course, of overreaction to that. But, you know, it just shows how quickly the mood can change. And I think, obviously, what we've got to try and do is is flip it 180 degrees again uh, and get that mood going. Um, but it just means in the very short term, you know, heading into this Christmas week and, you know, we don't play till the 26th, it's going to be a bit fucking miserable from a footballing point of view. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it there. We we should probably talk about it. I mean, he's not had a great week, Mesut Ozil, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. What did you make of his performance uh, at the Etihad? Uh, terrible, terrible. <laughs> yeah, really bad. Yeah, and I think you know, as as ever, when you want to criticise somebody, uh, you've got to you've got to qualify it to a certain extent. So I think my criticism of Mesut Ozil is based on the last two games. It's mm -hmm. not overlooking 
anything that anything else he's done this season because he has been one of our best players. He's scored lots of goals. Uh, you know, he's got some assists to his name. He's been a part of uh, our best performances this season. So, you know, there's a lot of people wanting to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. And so I've seen people say, you know, you should never play for the club again, relegate him to the under-23s, sell him, blah, blah, blah. You know, on the basis, if you're making that judgment only on the basis of the last two games, fine. But, you know, you can't overlook the other stuff that he's done this season. And he's been, you know, much more positive than negative. I, I, I look at it and I wonder if there's something up with him. Because he, despite what people would have you believe, is not a lazy player. He's not mm. a lazy player. But that performance yesterday, he was just absolutely... The, the game, he allowed the game to pass him by. He was bundled off the ball. He didn't try hard enough. He didn't work hard enough. Um, for a guy of his quality, these are the games where you really want him to shine and to show that, that he's the sort of guy who can lead this team to the first title in X amount of years. So I think, you know, at Everton, he was very poor. He was worse against Manchester City. And um, I don't know what else you can really say about it about that um, yeah I mean do you, it's do, difficult isn't it you yeah. sort of you want, you want to analyse it and be like well what, why you know what's gone on there is it a psychological thing you know is he someone who when the going's good is comfortable and when it gets tougher he finds it more difficult mm. you know to motivate himself I mean you know, the, is he carrying an injury? I mean, the way he was moving yesterday, I'm like, well, is that a physical problem? You know, mm. he's played a lot of football, uh, but he was walking around the pitch at times. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that clip, it, it didn't look do, good. No, that clip does not do him any favours at all, where he's just no, standing. I mean, you know, we've just gone 2-1 down. We've just gone 2-1 down, and Yaya Toure, you know, a really good player, but, you know, hardly the most fucking energetic guy is sort of, you know, strolling around, able to pick a pass, pick it back up, pick it up, you know, and, and Mesut Ozo is just standing, watching him, walking. And you're thinking, you know, it, this is what I'm talking about with the 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 lack of effort. Um, that wasn't just him, it was throughout the team. That, mm. you know, why aren't you chasing those guys down to try and get the ball back? Because we need the ball. We need to we need to score a goal at least, and that for me was the the worst thing about yesterday was just the just the lack of effort to try and win that game or the resignation when we went two one down that well that's it we're fucked. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I I can't believe we're having this discussion a week after talking about the you know psychological strength we showed against Stoke and maybe there's a benefit from this guy's teaching them kind of mental skills and all that sort of thing. But, you know, the, the feeling we have as fans when Arsenal concede an equaliser and we feel like, oh, uh, we know what's coming here. We've seen this before. Yeah. We're going to lose. You know, the same old frailties exist. You know, one just wonders watching this team if basically if, if exactly the same thing happens to them on the field, that when setback like that arrives, yeah. you know, and, and it's off the back of the Everton defeat, which probably was very deflating for the squad, you know, to lose that late on and interrupt their momentum so severely. Mm. Um, yeah, one just wonders if their confidence and their belief dissipates in exactly the same manner. And yeah. I'm not saying that's acceptable, but I, I wonder if it, it goes some way towards an explanation. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not unreasonable, particularly because for the most part, um, 
you know, we do have some new players. And we've bought some new players. But, you know, the vast majority of that squad is the same uh, group of players who haven't won a big game away from home since January 2015. And when I talk about a big game, I mean one against Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea. Yeah. Right? January 2015 is the last time we won a game away from home. And our away record, generally speaking, is pretty good. We draw, we've drawn quite a few of those games, but we haven't won. And I think this is the whole, the whole point of a fuck off result. You can point to Chelsea, uh, in September, which was fantastic, a really great performance and one which raised a lot of hopes and raised expectations that if they can do that to Chelsea, then, you know, maybe there's something about this team. But until they address that issue, until they can actually get a win or two under their belts where they feel perhaps not like they're the poor relation every time they go away from home against one of the big teams, then I think we're going to carry this around with us. And every time there's a little bit of a setback in a game, they're going to feel like they can't react. How much of that is on the manager, do you think? Like, it's got to be his job to try and get in their heads that, okay, look, just if, if something does go wrong, just, you know, keep going, keep going, keep going. You know, we've seen them do it in other games. We've seen them do it in other games this season. But certainly when you look at these particular fixtures, our record is terrible. I think a lot of that is on the manager. I mean, I think it's, you know, and this is not in any way a, a sack the manager <laughs> tirade, but uh, I think it's one of the problems when you've got such consistency in your manager, you know, that, that they carry that record with them. You know, you can't just have a new broom and a new approach and think, well, under this new guy, it'll be different. You know, he, like many of the players, has, has been through these traumas before. And I, I guess that maybe that that affects the confidence of the group as a whole. But I, I think it is on him, ultimately. Um you know, ultimately, managers have to, you know, they, they take responsibility for motivating their players. And it, it, it is cruel sometimes on a manager because mm. if a player doesn't want to put the effort in, there's not, there's not a huge amount the manager can do about that. But they have to be the guy who's accountable. Yeah. I mean, um, would, it, would it be a worry that um, maybe the lack of effort is tied into the messages that the players are getting? Like if, like two years ago, this is, you know, this is the message and we haven't won a game in two years, but you're getting the same message over and over. Could you tie in that lack of effort with players being perhaps tired of hearing the same thing? That maybe there's nothing new, there's no variety, there's no new plan. And thus, when it goes wrong, they're like, no, I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to excuse it. I'm just trying to find a reason for it because it's so difficult to understand. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, I don't know. I think that you're probably right. I think if it is just a, a monotonous message, then maybe they are more inclined to switch off. I just... I mean, how big a bearing do you think the Everton result had on had on the Manchester City performance? Because um, I, th- I would argue quite a lot. Like I, I okay. feel like looking at that team, I, I, I wonder if the kind of fragility of some of the character in the team is kind of dependent on momentum if they sort of require you know a run of good results to to have the belief they need to play well Mm. Uh, and I know that makes them sound psychologically weak but then (laughs) all the evidence would suggest that might be the case and I think when they suffered a, a, a setback at Everton I just think they maybe didn't approach City and the same manner. I don't think it's possible to just start again in quite the same way. Yeah, I do know what you mean. I think that um, history has shown us that when Arsenal are on a good run and that run comes to an end, it's not usually just one bad result. There's usually a couple. 
not necessarily defeats, but it takes us a while to, to get going again. So from that point of view, I'm not in any in any way surprised that the performance against Manchester City was as bad as it was. No, that's wrong. I'm I'm not surprised that the performance was bad. I am surprised at quite how bad it was, particularly in the second half. But what what worries me is that I think for this season to have felt different or for this season to have felt, yeah, just different, we we needed to see a, a better response from Arsenal yesterday. That even if you lose the game and at least you've, you know, you've given it your all, you know, you can come off the pitch and hold your heads high and say, well, look, we gave everything and we were beaten by the better side. That's, I think, you know, you, you can generally accept that kind of a defeat. But when your team hasn't, hasn't done itself justice physically, mentally, footballistically, whatever way you want to put it, that they've, they seem to have just frozen on the big stage, then it becomes extremely difficult to accept. Well, also, I mean, you talked about passivity. Like, I I would never condone anything like what Sergio Aguero did to David Luiz uh, in the Manchester City game. But when Manchester City suffered that home defeat to Chelsea, there was a real palpable sense of their anger and frustration and, and their boiling over efforts, attempts, you know, to try and redress things. Mm. Whereas we were just sleepwalking into it. Um and I'm not. I'm saying both. Both are not good. But I think, as fans, it's it's frustrating when it feels like the players are suffering defeat, and it doesn't even seem to bother them. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Exactly. When did we pick up a couple of yellow cards later on? I think Monreal got booked. Maybe he got booked or didn't get booked. But Gabriel got booked. Thought it was harsh. But you know, he he was trying to win the ball back high up the pitch. But it was mm-hmm. in the 90th minute when we desperately needed to get the ball forward to try and get an equaliser. That's too late. I mean, I saw Arsene Wenger, he said um, he said that uh, he was very disappointed or upset with Petr Cech because he took a short free kick right at the end rather than get it in the box. But, you know, <laughs> that's not the fucking big issue here, is it? The fact that you didn't take a, a free kick quickly enough as injury time was running out, that's not the fucking point. That's not what you should be getting upset about. You should be getting upset about the way that your team played throughout. What did you make of the, the, the manager's comments about referees? He said they're lions in zoos and they're very well protected and blah, blah, blah. I mean, well, we haven't spoken about the, the decisions. I, I mean, the first goal we conceded was certainly uh, offside. I would, I would argue. I thought it was offside. Well, not argue. Well. I don't think there is an argument. I think it's, I think it's offside. Well, Sky were cool. arguing against it. They were showing replays of the guy quite clearly offside, like he was completely and utterly off. You could see it in the replay. Uh, you know, this whole idea that that uh, there has to be daylight between the the guy and the last defender. That's not the rule. Um, he's offside. There's no question about. It. And Sky are saying, well, you know, I don't think he is. Or you want those decisions to be given. Um, you know, to the attacking team. It's either offside or it's not offside, and, and that was offside. Um, but, you know, it was tight. It was very tight. And you think of the one that we had uh, at West Ham where Alexis scored that beautiful goal. That was just as offside, if not more so. You know, so, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was off. The second one um, 
Was the argument that that it should have been offside because of David Silva's intervention? Basically, is that what the? Yeah, I, I lost the sound basically in that period of the game. So I'm not, yeah. sure, not sure what the pundits are on. Well, yeah, I think basically that uh, because he sticks a leg out, he makes a move towards the ball and is perhaps in in check sight line. But uh, you know, to me, it's, I, I think that's, that's uh, I less think that's inclusive. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, to be honest, I think that irrespective of David Silva's involvement, I think Petrchek will be pretty disappointed to have been beaten like that. Mm. Um, I mean, that was pretty bad defending all round on that one, yeah. I would suggest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it was bad defending because that's what we did all day. We defended badly. City had City had good chances. You know, they hit the post. Sterling should have scored. Uh, Czech made a couple of good saves, one from De Bruyne and one from Sané. Yeah. You know, so let's not pretend that the goal was something of a surprise. Uh, based on on the way that we were playing, but I mean, I think uh, Wenger's comments about the the referee, mm, sorry, yeah, p- purely and utterly designed to take the headlines away from how badly his team played. Uh, you know, well, a classic, it has worked. If you look, yeah. at, if you look at the back pages of the tabloids, particularly, I mean, it's all about Wenger raging against the referee. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's pure deflection, isn't it? Mm, yeah, and look, every manager does it. We know why they do it. Um. But, you know, it's so fucking obvious. You think they wouldn't fall for it every single time. Uh, I can't believe I can't believe it sells papers. I mean, it's, you know, they've put it all over the back pages, but I can't believe that that's what people want to pick up and read. You know, mm. something good, shout out a referee. I think a story about, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the paucity of quality in Arsenal's performance would probably... Mm. Be be do better, fare better, you know. Yeah. But uh, what do I know? Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's been a horrible week. Arsene Wenger said it's a horrendous week. I think is is what he said, and mm. he's now got a week more or less to um, you know, to get things right and and get things going again against against West Brom on the twenty sixth of December. Um, I mean, th- th- this is a big test of this team and of the manager. You know, to be in a position where you're absolutely well and truly in the title race, you're only three points behind Chelsea and within a week you're nine points behind them. That is a, that's a big thing to get over. Not, not just in terms of the points gap, but like, oh my God, are we in free fall here? How do we get, how do we write things? I mean, do, do you remember in 97? I think it was 97 and we could have lost against somebody like, like Blackburn. At Highbury, I think it was Blackburn, and yeah. I think it could be Tony Adams tells the story in his autobiography. And they have a players' meeting, and they get it together, and they get together and talk about. Look, these are the issues. We need more protection from our midfield. They talk to Vieira and Petit. You know, you can't leave us uh, as unprotected. And Vieira and Petit dig in and and help secure things. And the team rallies together and comes together. It feels to me like this team needs something like that. Because, you know, that we've spoken about the potential, we've spoken about the quality that we have, with the, the, the strength of the squad, the depth of the squad, and they're not doing themselves justice. And the manager is not doing the squad justice this last week as well. I think he could have been perhaps a little bit more braver with some of his uh, team selections, perhaps. Um, yesterday, maybe instead of putting El Nani on, he could have put Perez on. I know it's not ideal when you're in that situation, but, you know, when you really need a goal, get, stick a guy on who can get us a goal. And that's to take nothing away from El Nenny. You know, he's a guy who, who I thought made us better, actually, when he came on, uh, which isn't saying much. Uh, you know, it was a low bar, obviously. But it feels like the team needs something. Like, they need to fucking ask themselves, uh, you know, do you really want to win this? Do you really want to win the Premier League? 
Do you, you know, because if you do, you can't not you can't not put in the effort. The very least you can do is is put in the effort. And I know it's it's so difficult, you know, to talk about intangibles like desire and passion and 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 everything else. But you can look at that Arsenal performance yesterday and see that those things were absolutely 100% missing. Whatever way you mm. want to discuss it tactically, whatever way you want to discuss it in terms of team selection, what the way we decided to play, the 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 basics of effort and and hard work and and everything else were just not there, and that was reflected in the scoreline for me. Yeah, and, it, and I think if you, even if you want to talk about it in more cerebral terms, uh, you know, composure, intelligence, decision making, concentration, those things were absent as well. Uh, and I think it probably does need someone to put rattle a few heads together. And, and what you know, the classic thing for a pundit from the sides and say is, well, do those characters exist within the Arsenal squad? You mm. know, is there a Tony Adams? Is there a Patrick Vieira? But I, I don't think you necessarily need that. These are grown ups. You know, they're grown, they're grown up professionals. So. They must know that it's incumbent upon them and they must know what it takes. They must be able to, like we can, look at title winning sides, be it Leicester last year or look at, you know, Chelsea, the league leaders this year and see the difference as mm. well, as well as we can. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as much as the responsibility is with the manager, the players do have to assume some of themselves too. Yes. I, uh, I'm sure this will be a an interesting week at London Colney because Arsene Wenger must be gutted as, as we are I mean the reason this feels so shit is because it's shit we all, well yeah <laughs> there's that but I think it's particularly so because we I guess we were lulled or we, we believed there were signs indications I don't think we were foolish to believe it that this season might be different uh, or that something may have changed or that there might have been a greater spine or backbone to this mm. side um, and the last what has it been? I mean, six days, seven days. If, if that has really undone that and and made us think, oh, the you know the progress that we thought was there has kind of evaporated. Mm. Uh, but you know, it doesn't have to. And I think that it's too early for any obituaries for our title challenge um, because a lot can change quickly, as we've just found out. Yeah, that's true. But I'm a lot less <laughs> a lot less optimistic than I was a couple of weeks ago. Same. I have to so, say, yeah. Very, very, very much so. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, what, what can you do? I mean, you know, the, the only thing you can say is that the fixtures are a little bit easier mm. uh, over, the, over the Christmas period. But w- what we've said is Arsenal, who suffer defeats, tend to take some time to steady the ship yeah. and get back on their feet. That's not time that we can afford right now. No. No. All right. Well, look, I think we might discuss some of those fixtures and, and the rest uh, in, in part two. So unless there's anything else uh, that you want to touch on from yesterday, we'll take a break and do questions or? Yeah, let's take a break. I think I need it. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to this fun-filled, action-packed, laugh-a-minute, hilarious Arscast Extra. Uh, this is part two where we, we answer all. <laughs> this is the last one before Christmas. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Um, yeah. Uh, God. God. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, well, yeah. um, I mean, the questions might lighten the mood. Who knows? Maybe, <laughs> oh, maybe I'm sure they watched will. the game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure there's loads of, uh, yeah, no, everybody's watched it. <laughs> there's a lot of questions going, yeah. Why? Um, and I wish I knew. I wish I knew why. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. Here's a, a question. Can I start with a question? Yeah. This is from Wenger's World, who's at Oscar Kremen on Twitter. And they ask, I think the, the one we're probably all asking ourselves, which is, ever wonder why you dedicate so much passion, energy and time into something you have no control over? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the beauty. That's the beauty of sport, you know. You of of being yeah. a supporter of sport is that you have you have no control over it. You know the the, the idea. I think if you set yourself up with the idea that everything should be one hundred percent perfect, one hundred percent of the time, you're always going to be disappointed. You have to be, you have to be, or expect that, you know things are going to go wrong or things aren't going to go as well as you would like. Um, and, and all the disappointments and all the poor performances and frustrations uh, and everything else are are part of the build up to when things are great and when you know those those amazing moments when it all comes together and you do win the league or you know you win a trophy they yeah, those disappointments are just part of it. They get washed away to a certain extent. It's like having a massive headache. You know, uh, winning something is like... Uh, let me put it to you like this. Let okay. me put it to you. I had, many years ago, was involved in a bad car crash and uh, was taken to the hospital uh, in quite terrible pain because my arm was shattered into bits and it was awful. And then, after a while, a nurse came along and injected me in the arse with something like some morphine, I'm guessing, or something there or thereabouts. She said at the time, this is just the legal side of heroin. Now, the pain wow. was awful, but then the pain went away, and it was, it was bliss. I was out of my <laughs> box, James. I was completely and utterly <laughs> off my head. I couldn't feel anything. In fact, I felt great. That is what winning something as a football club is like. Because then it's like the morphine that takes away the pain of like Old Trafford and six ones and missing chances and Carling Cup finals and all those things. That's what it is. So in a way, all we're doing, we're just kind of chasing that dragon. 
Yeah, so basically, right now we're in the, the shattered arm phase. Yes, so absolutely. So what we need to do to get over this, what we need to get over this is heroin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. hospital-grade morphine. That's what we need uh, for all okay. of us. I think that would make everybody's Christmas much better. If we could, instead of, <laughs> instead of a soup kitchen, we had a morphine kitchen, we'd just get all the Arsenal fans lined up, inject them in the arse, and everyone will have a very pleasant Christmas. We can go to West, or play West Brom on Stephen's Day, and, and everything will be it. But yeah, look, that's it. Dedicate somebody. Look, why? Why else do you do it other than to see, you know, the joy of sport and the, you know, the little moments and the big moments? But you've got to, you got to deal with all the shit along the way. So, well, yeah. I, I admire, I admire attitude. Yeah, uh, I'm still in. I'm still very firmly in the broken arm phase, wondering <laughs> how my arms are going to get fixed. <laughs> I need a nurse with a syringe urgently. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh well. But there we go. There we go. So look, uh, here's a question from Dave Payne, and there's one here on on Twitter or on Facebook uh, from Adam Rose. Dave Payne uh, says, it's "Not really a question." He says, "I wonder if Alexis doing a one man presses against all of Arsene Wenger's instruction and the rest ignoring him are sticking to plan." Bizarre. And uh, uh, Adam Rose says, given that Alexis can't encourage the players around him, they're separate things, but sort of more or less uh, on the same beat. Uh, he says, given he can't encourage the players around him, despite his best efforts, is it finally time to get a shouty captain uh, to take the game and the players by the scruff of the neck and win some games? Someone who will, as Ian Wright said on 606 last night, ball players out at halftime in the dressing room. I mean, I don't know if that's... Can you imagine if on FIFA there were all the different attributes, you know, pace, you know, shooting, and one was shouting? Shouting I really like that. Mm. Yeah. We need, I mean, I think if we're going to get a shouty player, they need to have qualities beyond shouting. Mm. I'm going I'm to go that far. The one-man press thing, I mean, I had a question about this as well. It, it, is, it, is, it is odd. Like, I feel like in every game you see Alexis herring down towards the centre-backs with his arms outstretched, you know, encouraging the wingers to come up with him. Mm. Uh, and they, they sort of invariably don't, really. Now, that's either one of two things. Either he uh, is acting against... Inst- well, not two things, it could be more things. Either he's acting against instructions, he or he is physically more capable of pressing than other players in the team because he's that much fitter and that much hungrier. Mm. So, you know, he, he, he wants it more and he, he's naturally better at it. Or there are no real instructions... Uh, and everyone's kind of <laughs> acting individually according to their natural, you know, inclination. I've got a horrible suspicion it might be that one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Maybe that is, uh, you know, it's uh, as Philippe O'Clair said before, the Arsene Wenger is a jazzer and he wants all his players to be jazz musicians. Someone just, uh, someone just, you've got a drummer, everybody else just biddly bops around them. Maybe that's what it is. Well, I mean, genuinely, I do sometimes fear that. I mean, Alexis... He, you know, he played in a Chile team who who pressed. He played in a Barcelona team that pressed. Uh, that's what he would like to be doing, and it's what he's very, very good at. Um, yeah, because it renders it, him it renders his efforts completely pointless when he's yeah. like chasing down the centre halves. What he wants, you know, he wants the wide players to come and you know press the fullbacks, so they basically have no choice other than to go back to the goalkeeper or go long with it. In which case, we have a better chance of winning back the ball. But when he's when he's doing it on his own and he's running across the line, like all they have to do is play it out to a fullback and backwards. But you know, it just it must be frustrating for him. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the teams that operate these presses, say Liverpool, whatever, spend so much of their time on the training ground must be spent coordinating it so that they do it in packs, you know, so they do it two or three at a time and thus can create the turnovers they need. Mm. But Alexis is just, 
I mean, you know, running around on his own like a headless chicken. I feel for him. I mean, and that image of him at the end of the game yesterday was uh, troubling, shall we say? Him sort of on his haunches thinking, I don't know why I'm doing this. Yeah, what I the mean, fuck I, is I, going on here? What are these cons doing? Yeah, I mean, I didn't enjoy that, I have to say, with the contract negotiations underway at the moment. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I suspect there is not a clear plan because it, it does feel like he is doing something different to the rest of the team at mm. times. And we do seem to be better when the rest of the team do what he does, right? Mm. Exactly. Like, you know, uh, we talked about it against Chelsea. And do you remember a few years ago there was, like, a game against Chelsea at home? I think Theo Walcott might have scored. We won 3-0 or 3-1. And we, we played that night with quite a high press, real intensity. We closed them down all over the pitch. I think one of the goals came particularly from someone closing one of their defenders down and they made a mistake and we capitalised on that and scored. And you're going, that's it. There's your blueprint. That's what you do. And uh, I think it was uh, the same to a certain extent uh, this season against um, against Chelsea. You think about the Gary Cahill goal, the one that uh, you were in a taxi in. Uh, t- yes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was Alexis pressing. He didn't necessarily force the mistake, but he was there to capitalise on the mistake because uh, Cahill had nowhere to go other than back to the goalkeeper and he underhit his pass. Alexis scores the goal, you know. Um, so it's certainly, I mean, you don't just do it for the laugh. You do it because it works. Um, and why, why we can't or are physically unable to maintain or play that kind of a game, that maybe that's a question to be looked at at some point. Yeah, I just think there's such a lack of clarity over whether or not that is what we're supposed to be doing. It, you know, going forward this season, we have had an identity and I think that playing Urs and Alexis through the middle has given us more shape and you, there's been a sense of style about the way we attack but defensively our strategy is still very difficult to decipher mm. uh, and you know Alexis sort of pressing on his own I think is kind of the microcosmic example of that yeah um, let's have another question this is from um, uh, Ganid uh, at at Ganid08 on Twitter, and they ask, why doesn't Ozil ever get subbed as he was poor yesterday? Is this player power, or does Wenger believe he is playing well? I don't think it's player power. I think it's probably player reputation and player stature. Um, That even when he's playing poorly, if you take him off, you are taking off a very creative option from your team. So I think he backs perhaps his his overall quality rather than his quality within those 90 minutes, if that makes sense. That, you know, when you need something, who's the guy that can perhaps unpick the defense? Mesut Ozil's a guy who can do that for you. So, you know, I, I think that's probably it. I think there's a good... Um, I think there's a good case to be made, you know, for him to come off if he plays like that again yesterday. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I, it's the hope that he's going to produce one moment of magic. Yeah, exactly. I think exactly. You know, it's the, it's the sense that well, as poor as he's been, he's physically fit. He can usually do something still into the dying minutes, and you know, it, it could be that one moment that turns the game. Mm. It's interesting. I saw, I watched a video over the weekend. It was Aaron Ramsey doing one of those teammates videos. And one of the questions was, uh, you know, who's the teacher's pet? 
at Arsenal. Yeah. And it was a tongue-in-cheek response, but he was kind of like, it's Meza, you know, he always seems to be in the manager's office asking him, he seems to get more days off than everybody else, I think he said, you know, if he needs a day off training or whatever. I do wonder if, you know, when you have these marquee players, there are certain concessions made to them. And I do feel like his reputation probably does play a part in keeping him on the pitch. Mm. Um, you know, when he's playing like he did yesterday, there's not really a case uh, to keep him on other than that sort of hope that he's going to do something out of nothing. But, yeah. I mean, I think a couple of people have asked about this as well. After his performance in the last two weeks, last week, sorry, last two games, would you contemplate leaving him out of the next game? Um, home game against West Brom? Probably not, because it's the kind of game that you would expect him to make a a good contribution in, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, and also... I, you know, I think... Your, yeah, yeah, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, who's your replacement? Like, I, yeah. I think it's, it's odd. We always talk about Arsenal teams having so many potential number 10s, but when you actually look at it, who who could you slot in? You know, yeah, there's yeah. a direct replacement. I'm not sure there is an obvious. No, person. there's no Cazorla who would have been an obvious replacement. You know, there's there's Aaron Ramsey if he's back, but we don't know what the situation is regarding Aaron Ramsey's hamstring. You know, Jack Wilshire, he's a guy who could have played in there. You know, um, having uh, you know having decided he wanted to play his football elsewhere. Alex Awobi has played there as well, of mm. course. I mean, I think you look at maybe. <sighs> You look at the fixtures and you think, yeah, he's, he's going to play. He's definitely going to play. But I'd like to see, I'd like to see more from Mesedos. I think the other thing you have to look at is that the last two games from Ozil have been outliers in terms of his season in general, right? Because he's been much better this season uh, than that. Those have been two very poor performances, but that's not been the story of his season. Mm. I would concur with that, yeah. I think, you know, his goal-scoring form has been very good. I think his partnership with Alexis has been integral you mm. know, to our success that we have had this season. Um, he has been awful in the last week, but players have dips in form. Mm. You know, players have dips in form, and fingers crossed this dip is pretty temporary and ends against West Brom. I can't see him being left out, especially with a week between the games, you know, yeah. over a week between the game before that match, so you have plenty of time to recover. I think he'll, I think he'll play. All right. Uh, here's a question from Joe, and uh, this is a question echoed by quite a number of people. He's at Joe underscore Arsenal one, and he says, I'm starting to get rather hacked off with Petr Cech. Is there a case for Ospina coming in? Yeah, we had a few about Petr Cech, didn't we? I mean, I thought Cech... I thought he'd be very disappointed with the with Sterling's goal. I mean, I know it's a, a powerful strike, certainly, and perhaps not one he was expecting off Sterling's weaker foot. I know there's the David Silva thing of, you know, is he interfering, is he in the way? I still think that, you know, to be beaten at your near post in in that manner is 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 not good. Are you, are you with me on that? Mm, yeah, I mean, the near post appears to, it seems to be a bit of an issue, doesn't it? Yeah, it has been. Mm. has been for check. I mean, the thing is, what I would say is that I felt like he also made some decent saves yesterday. Yeah. Um, it wasn't exclusively a bad performance. Uh, so Somebody tweeted in saying that they were, a couple of people actually saying they were very perturbed by his distribution. Yes. Uh, yeah. Was that something you picked up on? Yeah, throughout, from the almost the start of the game, it was like, what is he doing with his kicking? His kicking yeah. was way off. 
You know, I think yeah. part of the problem, I'm not making any excuses for it because, uh, you know, he's a very experienced goalkeeper who, who generally speaking, is, is quite good in that regard. Uh, he definitely had an off day yesterday. But I, I think part of the problem is we don't necessarily have anyone to aim at. I think what's no. been really weird this season, and I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, is certainly for a while, Petr Cech was aiming quite a lot of his goal kicks towards Theo Walcott. Yeah. And I've seen Theo Walcott win more headers and flick on more headers, not to any great effect, generally speaking, than I had, you know, this season than in the previous nine or ten years he's been at the club. And I think if so, that's what you're if that's what you're aiming at, or if that's your outlet, there's something wrong. You know, uh, it, it must be difficult. It's much easier for a goalkeeper. Okay, you've got Olivier Giroud up there, bang it up towards him, and he can he can take it any number of ways. You know, he can flick it on, he can control it, he can get in front of the central defender, he's got the strength, you know, to hold off the defender and be that outlet, take the ball under control, not every time, but more often than not. But generally speaking, if the goalkeeper's either whacking it out to, to either of his fullbacks, and he went towards Monreal quite a bit yesterday as well, I, I don't think that's ideal. No, I mean, we always used to rely on Bakri Sanya when we had Bush at Chesney and goal and he, yeah. would, he would he would be quite an effective target for uh, goal kicks and look to win those walk, um, flick-ons that Walcott could run on to but yeah there's not a clear plan and I don't think Czech I mean it's an interesting one isn't it would Guardiola pick Czech probably not uh, probably not based on the way he dealt with Joe Hart mm. uh, because he, he would feel like he couldn't uh, he, you know he's, he's not really capable either of playing those short passes and being involved in that kind of game at the back and, and building up play in that manner generally he is going to look to go long but without Giroud there's no obvious target so it's a bit of a tricky one for Chat. you know it's a, I'm not clear what his best option is if it is Walcott then that tells you plenty about the state of affairs um, I think Chak I don't know I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that Chak's you know, in a decline or that he's quite as weak as some would have you believe. But when you have a goalkeeper like Ospina in reserve, it must be tempting for Arsene Wenger. He must be contemplating it. You know, if, if Ospina can't get a game when Arsenal can't keep a clean sheet, you know, and are shipping lots of goals and Czech's performances are questionable at least, then he'll wonder what the point is really in him being there. Mm. I mean, I, I don't think Czech has been quite as bad as some people are making out, but the, I think the bigger yeah. issue is that he's not quite reached the level that we would have hoped, you know, by, by signing that experienced, at one stage, the best goalkeeper in the world, I think he was, yeah. um, or certainly up there in the in the top two or three, you know, it hasn't really made us that much more secure defensively. You know, I don't feel like... I don't feel hugely confident in Petr Cech. That's not to say that I think he's played really badly. I think he's made some good saves, but he hasn't. He just hasn't made. He hasn't made this a non-issue. That it's it's not. It's it is a reasonable question to ask if David Ospina should be given a run in the side, and I think that probably sums up his performances. I think that's fair. Do you put that down to him, or is it because? He's playing behind a more fallible defence than he has for, for many years. Maybe, maybe so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the, the whole the whole gamut of of everything, you know. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's all of those things. But I think also that 
they, they talk about goalkeepers winning you games and winning you points with big saves. And we haven't seen that really from Petr Cech this season. We haven't this season. I mean, let's not forget last season he he won the Golden Glove. He had 16 clean sheets or something like that. Um, most in the Premier League. You know, he, he had a pretty decent campaign. This year, the clean sheets have been few and far between. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, it, he's not he's not having a great time of it. He's not having a great time. No, of it. I, can't, I don't I think can't, he's been yeah. as bad as some. Yeah, I, I don't see a change yet either. I don't see Arsene Wenger changing it. So, uh, you know, he's got Ospina for his um, for his uh, Champions League, and I think he, I think Ospina will play in the in the FA Cup as well. So, yeah, it depends. Do you how think Ospina will play against Bayern Munich? Yeah, yeah, I think he probably will as well. Mm. I think unless Ospina's injured, he's playing in the Champions League. Simple as that. Yeah, mm. it seems it seems the case. Yeah. Uh, should we have another question? Yeah. Uh, this is from Nick Howell, and it's at Nick four seven six eight on Twitter. He says, "What does Lucas Perez have to do to get some minutes in the Premier League?" Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you look. He at- was unfortunate again not to come on yesterday. I thought. Right? Yeah, I think sometimes the games have uh, have gone against him in the sense that we've had some substitutions that have been mandated by injuries, where we haven't like had the the ability to play the three tactical subs. You know, we've had to make a few I mean, changes. About- you look at Oxlade Chamberlain. Go on. <sighs> I mean. Now I was going to say we haven't even talked about that. I mean that's, I mean it's a fucking disaster, isn't it? A player comes on ten minutes later, they're off again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you've got to ask questions. Well, I mean, look, muscle injuries. It's happen. happened with him before. I'm I'm sure there was a game where I can't remember the game, but where he was, we saw him doing some sort of weird stretch before the match. Do you know what I mean? And then he got injured. Really early on, or soon was as he it in came that Car- um, Carlin Cup yeah. game against Sheffield Wednesday? Did I he come on was. for? He came on for Walcott, maybe, who got injured yeah. really. Oh no, hang on, let me. I'm looking it up here. Um, there was something I seem to recall something with him where he, everyone was left scratching their head, going, "Did he warm up properly?" Or I don't know. Was, yeah, actually, it was against um, Sheffield Wednesday, I think, where. Yeah, he he started the game and came off after five minutes, and Walcott then got injured he after another well, ten Walcott. minutes. But I think that might have been an injury to Oxley Chamberlain prior. Yeah, one of the let's see, it could have been the season before that, um, because he yeah he was relatively there or thereabouts last season. It could have been the previous season where I think he was out from February, something like that. Oh, I don't know. I can't yeah. fucking. But yeah, I mean, no, it's it, not look, good he's, news. He's had a lot of injuries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a Manchester United game, I think, in the FA Cup, where he he went off not long after half time, and maybe he was doing that. But yeah, um, what was the original question here? <laughs> I've forgotten. Uh, substitutes Lucas Perez. Oh yeah, I I genuinely I genuinely don't know. I mean, in some ways, he's been a bit unlucky because Theo Walcott has been scoring goals. Walcott's got a number of goals in his last number of games. Um, yesterday, you know, had we not had to make a substitution for for the sub, uh, for the injury, you would have thought he would have got some minutes towards the end of the game. But, you know, he's looked really effective um, when he's played. Um, 
and Arsenal spoke about like adapting to the Premier League. But how's he going to adapt if he never if he never plays him? The only reason you can think of that he never plays him is that he doesn't doesn't think he's good enough, maybe for the Premier League. I I, I don't quite know. But when you spend you know seventeen million pounds, not the biggest transfer fee of all time, but when you spend that much money on a player, you know you would have thought, okay, he's going to get some minutes in the Premier League. I would like to see him over this Christmas period be given a chance, he, whether it's from the left. Uh, perhaps uh, playing a bit closer to Alexis, even playing as a centre forward with Alexis a little bit on the left as well. I don't see that that would weaken us, you know, too greatly uh, against some of the opposition. I mean, we've got so many games coming up uh, over this festive period. He has to rotate. He's going to have to rotate in a big way, um, you know, to keep things fresh. So I, I, I don't know why. I would like to see more of him. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, what what more can you do than score a hat trick on your Champions League debut? I mm. think he deserves a chance. And with three games in the space of eight days, you'd have to think he's going to get that chance at some point. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I hope so. All right, um, let, I'm trying to find another question here. Okay, this is from uh, Gunnar Punner, and uh, he wants to know, does our inability to deal with the press this week highlight how much we missed our ball-playing German centre-back? Uh, obviously referring to uh, Per Mertesacker there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he said the press, I thought he meant the media, our inability to deal with the media. Um, I uh, I think we have missed him. I think we have missed him. I mean, look, we, we said earlier in the pod that our defensive uh, weaknesses have, have actually been there sort of underlying all season long, but... Uh, I think Mustafi's a pretty good recovery player, actually, mm. and you know he's quite quick and he, he helps you out in those situations. And even if he is positionally a little bit off, he can often make up for that. And I think his ability on the ball would have been useful yesterday. I felt like you know we talked about struggling to get through the midfield, the congested midfield. We needed quick, intricate passing. He can be very good at that. I mean, you think of the pass he fizzed into Alexis at West Ham um, a couple of weeks ago. There've been yeah. plenty like that. Uh, There've been plenty like that. So yeah. I, I definitely do think we missed him. Um, I mean, when do we think he'll be back? Have we got any idea? Not before the new year. No, I mean, it was three weeks, wasn't it? I, mean, I know Gabriel is not not the same kind of player, but he, he let, let me look, at 87% pass completion yesterday, 39 out of 45 passes. You know, but he is a much more conservative uh, passer of the ball. Like, he'll play it short a lot more. He's not particularly ambitious. And he looks a little bit freaked out sometimes when, when the ball is, is near him. But, you know, I think to put it down to just one player, I like Mustafi, and I think he does add something to the way we move the ball from the back. Um, but yesterday, I'm not sure how much difference that would have made when the midfield were sitting right on top of him. No, that's it. I think that's fair. I mean, I think it's all about... <laughs> The onus is as much on Cochrane and Shaka as well. You know, mm. it's incumbent on them to come and pick the ball up and how they cope with the press. I mean, one thing, I, speaking of German centre-halves, Chris McNamara, who's at Swelking on Twitter, says, uh, when Mertzsacker is back to full fitness, where do you see our club captain in the pecking order? How do you think Mertzsacker will fit back into the picture when he's back? Um, I don't... I don't really know. It's very difficult to see, isn't it? Because um, mm. it, it really depends on what Arsene Wenger is thinking about per Mertzsacker at this moment in time. Um, whether he sees him as somebody who is going to stay at the club or whether he might look at someone like Rob Holding, perhaps, uh, as as the future and be more willing to give him minutes as and when they, as and when they crop up, you know? Uh, yeah. I think it's clear, Kassiany and Mustafi are the first-choice partnership. 
Gabrielle appears to be at this moment in time the first choice backup, but I'm not necessarily sure he will be by the end of the season. Um, I'd like to think Holding would have taken a, a step forward, and I think probably um, there's a case to be made for including him in the team over the festive period, Holding. Really? That's mm. quite a big shout. But, mm. I, I, you know, he is a big prospect. I have really liked what I've seen him. He does remind me of Mertzacker, actually, in some ways. Yeah. Um, I can see some parallels there. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I, if Mertzacker can get back fit, you know, soon, I would have him... If, if, if You know, if he's the same player post this injury, I would probably still have him above Gabriel in my own pecking order. I'd yeah. have him as the third centre-half. Yeah. Um, rotating in and out with Koscielny and Mustafi as needed. Uh, but... You're right, if Arsene you know, sees his deals up in six months, doesn't intend to renew it, then perhaps he won't afford him that playing time. Yeah. All right, here's one from uh, Palerm 12, at Palerm 12, uh, and he wants to know, six games before we face Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, we've got West Brom at home, Palace at home, Bournemouth away, Swansea away, Burnley at home, Watford at home. A fairly friendly uh, run of fixtures. He wants to know... How many of those games should we expect to win? Let's have a look again. So, West Brom at home, I would say we should win that game. Yep. Um, Crystal Palace at home, we should win that game. For sure. Bournemouth away is not an easy game. Bournemouth at home wasn't an easy game. However, given the points we've dropped, that is a game we should go, be going all out to mm. win. Um, I wouldn't say I'm confident that we'll win it. <laughs> okay. Uh, th- then we've got... Did he? Inc- is it just league he's talking about? Yeah, Swansea away. Swansea away we should win. Poor team, Swansea. Yeah. Uh, Burnley at home. I mean, Burnley, have, you know, they've got something about them, but that's, again, a game we should win. Mm-hmm. And then Watford at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should win all those... We should win certainly all those home games. We should win at Swansea. I think Bournemouth away is the one that makes me... Uh, a little bit cautious. So you're looking, you you're looking at sixteen from eighteen, sixteen points from eighteen. There. Yeah, let's say a draw at Bournemouth. Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's a realistic expectation. To be fair, yeah. mm. I, I think if we want to really get back get back in the title race, I think we need to win them all. I agree with you. The Bournemouth away is the the one that looks a little bit difficult because of. Uh, because of you know, Bournemouth are a good side, but you know Southampton showed yesterday they're far from convincing defensively. Uh, I think if Southampton can go there and win three one, then we should expect to go there and win that game. You know, not taking anything true. for granted, etc., etc., etc. But um, I, I think we we should expect to win all of those games, and I think if if this is a team that really has any desire to do well this season they should win all six uh, I mean look I, I agree with you I mean the Bournemouth thing that one thing that's making me consider is that it's the third game in a week you know mm. but it will be for them too you would imagine so yeah let me just have a look at their uh, their fixtures I guess we can um, yeah. just make sure yeah. let's see what they're doing bum ba dum ba dum so we're playing Bournemouth on the 3rd of January. So we play West Brom on the 26th of December, Palace on the 1st of January, Bournemouth away on the 3rd of January. And that's where that's where he's going to have to earn his corn from a defence or from a rotation point of view. 
All right. Mm. That's where he's got to do it. You look at that home game against Crystal Palace as one where you take home advantage and you rest and rotate your squad for a more difficult away trip to to Bournemouth, I reckon. But Bournemouth are playing uh, Chelsea on the... The the 26th, then on New Year's Eve, they're playing Swansea away, and then they host us. So they've got an extra day's rest. Right. So that that adds a little bit of extra, but I still think that's a game that we we have to win. We have to expect to win. Yeah, and and, and obviously, you know, that Stamford Bridge match will be absolutely massive for all the reasons we've talked about. Mm. I mean, our inability to win at grounds like that for, for what will have been... More than two years by the time that comes around. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be fun. But let's cross that particular bridge after we've you know got six wins <laughs> under our belt. Yeah. Then we can talk about it. All right. Have you got? Have you got one more? Um, I don't know if I do. Actually, I might have exhausted myself. Um, oh, hang on. I had a <laughs> a slightly more lighthearted one, which might be a good thing. Uh, let's have a look. Bum bum bum. Oh, incredibly, I had a light-hearted one, but I think it's a sign of the day that maybe it's disappeared. Maybe. Oh, here we go. Ali Stables. <laughs> Ali Stables won on Twitter. If the Arsenal first team were to act out the nativity play, who would be best suited to each role? Oh, Jesus. Uh, well, Alexis is Lots Jesus. of donkeys yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it was a big barn full of donkeys. Um, and Alexis is Jesus. I agree with you. Alexis is Jesus. Um, who would play the Virgin Mary? Someone innocent, Alex Awobi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like Meza Ozil's kind of, maybe he's the, he's the Archangel Gabriel. He sort of, you know, he floats in, he floats out. <laughs> you know, he's, he's floating above the ground. He's not really getting involved with the nitty-gritty. <laughs> Three wise men. Uh, Mertesacker. He's got to be one of the wise men, I guess. Yeah, Petr Cech, I, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Lauren Koscielny. Laura Cashani, yeah. Who else is in there? Three wise men, uh, Steve Bold, Borough Primarach, and, uh, I don't know, Neil Banfield or someone else. Yeah. Um, uh, who else is in the plan? I don't know, who Joseph. Else is in the, Joseph, yeah. Joseph. So who's married to Alex Iwobi? That's what we're saying here. Um, oh. It's got to be Oxley chamberlain probably. Yeah, yeah. Or Danny Welbeck. They always had seats oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Iwobi and Danny Welbeck. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who are the other... I think they're the main players, aren't they? I mean, I if we're so. missing someone out, I apologise to to anyone you know who's, who's bothered by that. But I think we've got the the key cast there. Yeah, I think that's it. I'd love to see them do that. Maybe at half time, the Arsenal nativity <laughs> play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, that would raise spirits. Oh, it would certainly raise something. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, look. Here's a final one from Bjorn Yervil Hansen, who's at B Yervil. Um, probably mangling that, but apologies. Uh, he says, can you provide us with any Arsenal-related comfort to lift our spirits before the festive season? Oh. <laughs> does that, I mean, does my hesitation give its own response? Any Arsenal-related comfort? Uh, yes, I can. Go on. Do you know what's quite, uh, I, the, the Arsenal-related comfort, I guess, comes in the shape it just comes in the shape of that fixture list, really. I think, and the way to think is that as awful as this week has been, if those results have been dotted across the first half of the season, if we'd lost, you know, once every two months, I don't think it would feel 
quite so horrendous. Mm. And actually, the, the league table does feel fluid at this point. As ominous as Chelsea appear, I think everyone else is pretty much unpredictable. So I think there is a, a crumb of comfort to be taken for the fact that if you look at the fixtures we've faced, and that we came through that November relatively unscathed, little did we know what December would bring, but... Mm. You know, the remainder of the year and January, there are a lot of winnable games there. And I, I don't think it's unrealistic at all for them to achieve 16 or 18 points. And if Chelsea at that point have put together 20 consecutive wins or whatever it is, good luck to them, frankly. Yeah. But, <laughs> if, if, you know, they can have it. They can have the league if they do that. But I don't think they will. You know, I don't think that's sustainable. So I, I think as as bad as this feels right now... Um, I don't think that it's time to give up yet. Right. Right. That's my Christmas thing. What do you think? Um, <laughs> there is no comfort. Goodbye. <laughs> there, is a, there is only the pain of a terribly shattered arm. There is no yeah. Christmas morphine for anybody. Bah humbug and, uh, and all the rest. No, I mean, I, I think I agree that that's it. That's it. It gives us... Th- that run of fixtures gives us a a chance to build some momentum again, to get some wins under our belt and to then go to Stamford Bridge and lose 1-0 to a Diego Costa goal. Exactly. It's, guys, it, <laughs> that run of fixtures gives us hope. And to go back to the first question we were asked today, isn't that what being a football fan is all about? And guys... Isn't that what Christmas is all about? <laughs> Absolutely. I suppose the other thing we should say is that all going well, people should keep their ears out for a Christmas-related production from, from us uh, at some point this well, week as well. If that, if that won't bring comfort, I don't know what will. Well, exactly. Peace on earth and goodwill to all men um, and everyone will... Yeah, I think it'll just bring the world together. It's what the world needs right now, James. Yeah, I think it is. Well, <laughs> we're working on it. Um, yes, we are. Um, okay, well, look, uh, I think there'll be an Arscast this Friday. I think there will be, depending on how miserable the rest of the week is. But, we're, you know, we've got we've obviously got some games over the Christmas period. And we will not be around next Monday because uh, that's St. Stephen's Day. But we'll try and do something next week at some point, will we, when we're full of turkey yeah, sandwiches definitely. and sitting around in elasticated pants going, oh, I've eaten so much. We'll do oh, that. We will do something. Don't you worry. All right. Well, we'll give you details of that closer to the time. Um, uh, as I say, keep an ear out this week for something Christmas-related-ish from us, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.